Hey kids, welcome to the show. Our guest today is the writer of The Amazing Spider-Man for Marvel and the supervising producer of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law for Marvel Studios and Disney+, Plus, Mr. Zeb Wells. Welcome to episode 489 of the Handsome Genius Club radio show. My name is Kingdom, Anthony Kingdom James, a.k.a. comic book writer and grumpy old man, Anthony Retgazer. Today on the show, we trip back to the recent Fan Expo Canada convention here in Toronto, where Toronto, overpronouncing it. Here in Toronto, <laughs> where I had the wonderful opportunity to interview writer, producer, and all-around swell fellow Zeb Wells uh, about his writing gig for Spider-Man in print and writing for She-Hulk for TV and a whole lot more. Uh, this interview took place in front of a live audience, so we get a few questions from the crowd, too. Uh, before we start, many, many thanks to Kevin Boyd from Fan Expo for entrusting me with this interview. And to our great friend Jason Clark from the An Elegant Weapon podcast for lending his, re his recorder so that we could capture it. Uh, and to the Fan Expo tech whiz, I wish I had gotten or could remember his name because without him, we couldn't have patched into the main mixer and recorded anything at all. Um, but without any further ado, let's get into the interview. I love the courage of a front seater. I love it. Thank you. We need it. There we are. Might end up setting fire to a distribution center later tonight. Oh, right and don't be the, afraid to right into the mic. Don't yeah. Don't be afraid to get right into your. Yeah. Oh, I don't mind. Okay. I don't. I don't mind if there are witnesses. You're on record. Okay. Yeah. Hey, join in. Bring your own petrol right. bombs. I'm getting. A, I'm getting a vibe off of Anthony, and it's it's a little dangerous. He has his moments. <laughs> He has his moments. Anyways, please welcome the Emmy Award-winning writer of Robot Chicken, the current writer of The Amazing Spider-Man, and the supervising producer of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, ladies and gentlemen, this is Zeb Wells. All right. See? A second round of applause. There was always plans for a round of applause, Zeb. Okay. Wow. I got a bonus. <laughs> So uh, right off the bat, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a bunch of questions, and when I exhaust myself, we'll we'll start taking questions from the crowd. Okay. First of all, on a day to day basis, what does a supervising producer do? So that is just a fancy name for a staff writer. So the longer I think the writers' union WGA, this is fascinating stuff. Um, the longer you work. Uh, the you know you work your way up. I think you start as a staff writer and then a co-producer, producer, supervising producer. And I had worked with Jessica Gal, who was the uh, showrunner. I had worked with her on Robot Chicken and a show called Detours, uh, Star Wars Detours, which will never come out. But there are thirty some episodes finished, so we worked on it for a long time. And so she got me that job. Yeah. And since I had been in, you know, worked with her before and had my own show, I, I got supervising producer. And I'll take it. No one knows what it means. I answer that question a lot. But it just meant I was a writer. I was Jessica's number two on the show. Very good. And uh, how much of uh, what you're doing uh, as a writer on a show like She-Hulk is going to be predetermined by Kevin Feige or his team for the interconnectivity of the MCU? 
it's not like you walk into the room and they give you a mandate, here's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. It's more you come up with a bunch of stuff you want to do, and then it's a conversation with Kevin okay. and uh, Lou and Victoria, and they keep track of all that stuff. And they, you know, there's a lot of, hey, we have this great idea for Frogman. You got to make sure Frogman's not being used anywhere else. Right. He wasn't, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and then sometimes you find out you can't use it, but sometimes they have ideas. You know, um, oh, I, I can't give any spoilers. I was about to give a fun example, then I oh, realized listen, the, sh hold on. the everybody, show hasn't come out yet. Everybody promises not to immediately tweet what you say. <laughs> oh, well, Wink. Well, I think you guys know, if you saw the episode yesterday, you know Emil Blonsky's in the show, and while we were writing it, we found out that he was going to be in Shang-Chi uh -huh. um, fighting uh, Wong. And so that was a fun thing that we could use. Oh, we'll, we'll take that. We'll use it in the show, and it'll and um, right. you know it'll help inform what you're doing. It's a lot like comics. A lot of times you find out characters are doing other things in other places, but nine times you know you lose some to that, and sometimes you win because you get a fun idea yeah. or a fun way to connect it. And, and what is what is working with Kevin Feige like? What is it to to stride into the room with a guy who's uh, made billions of dollars over the last few years it's pretty cool it does not feel like you're striding into a room with a man who's made billions of dollars yeah. that's the coolest part like um there's some weirdos in hollywood especially at the executive level Do believe tell. it or not really but <laughs> i've never once felt when you're in the room with kevin it just feels like you're in the room with another writer yeah it doesn't feel like there's an executive who wants you to know how rich he is and how successful he is i've never gotten that vibe off of him once, which makes, which makes it feel like it would be fun to work at Marvel for a long time, you know, because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel icky going in there. You just feel like everyone's there trying to solve the, the story problems. Are there, uh, you mentioned Frogman. Are we going to see Frogman? Absolutely. I go nowhere without Frogman. <laughs> Where I go, Frogman comes with me. Are there, uh, I'm, I'm reading from my notes here like a bad comic. Are, uh, are there any characters being introduced in the series that you'd like, are there any other characters you'd like to spill the beans on? And uh... Well, there's, uh, you know, I'm a big Marvel fan, so yeah. I think in the trailer we've seen that Daredevil shows up, but I get more excited about a character like Porcupine that we found a way to get in there, Amazing. or, uh, or Manbull, you know? That, that's, that's more my speed. S somewhere in your home, do you have a large collection of official handbook to the Marvel Universe that you can just... <laughs> Yeah, what was it? You had to, you had to put them in your own binder. Remember yeah. that? that was... <laughs> do you, do you, are, are you specifically looking for quirky D-level characters that you yeah. can have that moment with? For sure. And part of that's the fun of it, and part of it is those are the ones that are left now. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of Marvel content coming out now. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of those characters are spoken for. Okay. So. You don't have to tell us why, but is there, are there any characters that you've been told no? Yes, and for a many, many different reasons. Some of them fun, some of them not fun. But Oh, give us a not fun. <laughs> the not fun ones are going to be... It's like, it's like poker. I don't want to hear how you won a hand with pocket aces. I want to hear how you won a hand with a 2-8 offsuit. <laughs> well, we didn't win this one, but like a character like Matador... Okay. Which you're like, okay, we, we have Manbull, we got to use Matador. We got to get Matador <laughs> in there and make a few jokes. And I think 
for some reason, they just couldn't use them. Like the rights issues are kind of complicated, and okay. they have a, a team of lawyers working on that at all times. So you get told no, to no for a variety of reasons. But then sometimes if you ask 18 to 20 times, then they'll say yes. Just to shut you up? Or? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it works. <laughs> it, it, it was weird. It's like, it, like, a, like a parent saying, how many times do I have to tell you? Yeah, you get, a, you, get a sense of, you get a sense that maybe it's a pain in the butt to make it work. Yeah. And so they want to know how badly do you want it? Earn Is Matador. it worth it? Yeah, okay. you got to earn Matador. Uh, any characters that you've created that you're uh, sneaking in? I don't know how many characters I've created. I think I was such a comic book nerd that when I got into the business, I just so wanted to play with all of everyone else's characters. Yeah. So I don't really have a deep bench. So I'll always go for a character I grew up reading. Hey man, how you gonna how, how you gonna live off residuals one day if you're not? I'm, not, I'm dying poor and alone. <laughs> I have seen the future. I've accepted it. Just you and Spock and McCoy around a campfire, and you're letting them know, I'm going to die. I'm alone. going to die sad and alone, <laughs> and poor. So you're working on right now. You're working on Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. And not your first kick at the can with Spider-Man. No. What was your philosophy? on Spider-Man before you wrote your first issue? Before I wrote my first issue on this latest run or? On Spider-Man in general. Before Spider -Man you wrote Spider-Man, what was your, like, I mean, did you read Spider-Man growing up and saw what was currently happening with him and thought that's not how it should be done or this is how, this is the Spider-Man that I have in my mind that I want to write. What was your philosophy going in? Well, I, the first Spider-Man book I read was um, the Amazing Spider-Man Annual 1, which had the Sinister Six in it. Okay. And it had a bunch of cool splash pages, but in that comic, Spider-Man loses his powers, and he knows he has to fight the Sinister Six, but he decides to go fight the Sinister Six anyways, okay. even though it's clear he's going to die. And that has always stuck with me, even when I was a kid, that that's sort of at the root of him. It's he doesn't always expect to win, and I feel like a good Spider-Man story has him get beat up pretty severely <laughs> somewhere. And maybe someday I'll stop doing that. But now that John Romita Jr. is drawing it, he, um, he draws Spider-Man <laughs> getting his butt kicked yeah. so well yeah, that, I, um, that I don't think I'll stop that anytime soon. How has it changed over the years? Well, I think so when, you, when I first started writing Spider-Man, you come in as a fan and you have these stories or, like, references or, or things you've noticed about Spider-Man yeah. in the years that you've been reading. And you want to kind of show how smart you are and how, what you've noticed about him and make a, a crack about wheat cakes. And then, <laughs> so com coming back to it, I feel like I've gotten that out of my system. And so now I'm trying to just play a little bit more and have yeah. a little bit more fun and, and sh sort of see... I feel like I know the character well, so I just want to see where he takes me if I throw some weirder stuff at him. So there's kind of a, a, a checklist of things that you want to do. You've got to, I have to make this joke. This yeah, is the... and I think all the writers that go in, you can almost watch it when a new writer takes yeah. over Spider-Man. You can see him burning through Burn those. through that yeah, list, yeah, and yeah. now it's, so, now what do I do? Yeah, I kind of wanted to see what, what do I do. So what's the philosophy going into the new volume of Amazing Spider-Man with uh, John Romita Jr.? A lot of it is John Romita Jr. I'm such a fan of his. I grew up being a fan. I remained a fan. I think he's great. 
And something about writing a comic that he is going to draw feels different mm -hmm. because you're writing it and you're seeing him draw it or yeah. you're seeing the artwork in your head. So I feel like it informs me. So it, it sounds a little cheesy, but I do feel like me and him are writing it together and it's his artwork informing the stories and where they want to go. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of it is just trying to push Spider-Man to his breaking point and see what happens. When we started talking about directions we wanted to take or how we could play with a different version of the character, we wanted to just hit the ground running and thought it might be fun um, to show him in a new place and then fill in how he got there as it goes, just as a, just as a writing exercise or, or a dramatic exercise to make it more dramatic, I think. And then by the end of the first year, we'll pretty much like fill in all the blanks and, and bring everyone up to speed. Um, but I just like to have a mystery in there. And, and, I, I, and I did like starting it with a Peter Parker, you know, like opening with Peter Parker and Aunt May sort of having it out because Aunt May's feelings are hurt and he's Peter's been gone. It just felt like a different flavor and I think John Romita Jr. is so good with the acting of the face that I just wanted like I thought sad Peter Parker and angry Peter Parker would be a fun Peter Parker to play in and then you see if you can as you keep going justify that and make people understand why he's like that. So that's what I will be trying to do. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Now, the panel before this, we were, it was writing for comics, and we were talking about Brian Azzarello was here, and he, he was saying, underwrite things. Do you find yourself with an artist of, uh, of John Romita Jr.'s caliber underwriting things because he's going to fill in those blanks, or do you see things as you think John Romita Jr. is going to write them, and you're just... Yeah, I, you definitely pull back a little bit with someone like him. And, but you get used to writing a certain way. And so how we usually work is I, I will make sure that I've written it where I know if he just, if he's having a, a day where he doesn't want to think and he just wants to draw the script, yeah. it will make sense. Yeah. But I always tell him and he usually uh, will do his own thing. You know, he will see what I'm trying to do with the page. He will move things around, add a little bit of magic. And some of my favorite moments from, um, you, you know, w once I get the art back, then I rewrite to the artwork. And a lot of fun lines and, and new, new ideas are found in that process mm -hmm. because maybe something that I thought was one panel is now three panels and I have to fill, it, you know, fill in a little bit of dialogue. Uh, but it, you usually get good stuff from that. What, um, what's your favorite not written by you version of Spidey my word comics <laughs> animation film whatever what, what's your what's your favorite not Zeb Wells Spider-Man well I think you know seven-year-old Zeb Wells is all about Stan Lee and Steve Ditko because that was just so creative and fun mm -hmm. and it was just kind of wild you, a lot of times you can see that Stan Lee is just trying to in dialogue explain what's happening on the page because they were both kind of just doing their own thing <laughs> yeah and which is reads awkward to the like modernized, but it's kind of uh, charming and really when you realize that all those villains were created in the first 20 issues, it's pretty incredible. And then the next thing that really grabbed me was J.M. Dematias. Yeah. Still don't know how to say it. 
uh, and his Craven's Last Hunt and his spectacular Spider-Man run. Even after that, with Sal Buscema, was incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, very emotional. I think that's something that is in me because I read that, is that Spider-Man can get kind of dark and emotional and yeah. emo because of that book, because I thought it worked really well. And <laughs> hope I didn't misuse that word. I'm old. Um, and, then, and then I remember when JMS and John Romita Jr. came out with their Spider-Man. I think I had just been away from comics for a while, and that brought me back in. Right. So those, those three... And then after that is when I kind of started working on it. So it's a little harder because I got to work with Dan Slott on Brand New Day. And one. I'm a big fan of his. And mm. I don't think anyone loves Spider-Man or Marvel more than Dan Slott. He, he, he brings a lot of passion to it. So. But I guess I'm just trying to write something that I think I would like. And I think that's, that's the easiest way to do it. Uh, you know, but like when I did 900... There were a few things going on when I did 900. One, it's like a lot of people are going to pick that up that maybe haven't read Spider-Man in a while. And so I wanted to make it more evergreen. And then you had Ed McGinnis coming on, and the artist, the artist tells me a lot about what kind of story I want to tell as well because I feel like different artists, their artwork feels a certain way, and I want to write a story that feels like that too so we get a little synergy out of it. But yeah, I guess I'm uh, selfishly trying to please myself. <laughs> What's it like to win an Emmy? It's very exciting. <laughs> and, you know, that, <laughs> that, the thing I won it for was the uh, Robot Chicken full-assed Christmas special. <laughs> and I was one of, like, eight writers on it. So it's not like I... And I think I had one... 10-second sketch on the show. Really? Yeah. So it's not like I felt like king of the world. But we had, we had been nominated a couple times. And it's interesting because you go there and you're like, we're not going to win. No, this doesn't matter. These awards don't matter. And then when they, when they opened up the envelope to read the name, suddenly it matters the most of anything that's ever mattered. Yeah. And then they read a name, and if you lose, you're like, ah, good, it didn't matter. And then if you win, you're like, oh, yeah, it is. It's the most important thing in the world. <laughs> it's absurd. No, it, it, was, it was wild, but it, it seemed like everyone there appreciated that absurdity of it, so they were pretty happy with it, and it ended up being a, a fun night. And uh, You know, the, they have a ball afterwards. I don't know about you, but I, I had never been to a ball before, so it was fun to be at a ball. Yeah, but never expected to be there. That was like when life just kind of throws you a little bonus every once in a while. Never expected or needed to win an Emmy, but it was, it was very fun. Now, am I right that they give you like one Emmy and you have to buy extras? Like I think we all got one, yeah. but they had to send it to us. No, 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 we got to hold one. We, got, we all got one. You all, yeah? Yeah, we all got one, but there, were, there are positions on the show, if your show wins, that you can, you can buy one. one. Yeah, you can order one. Do you one. know how much an Emmy costs? Oh, I think it's under a hundred bucks. Really? Yeah. Under a hundred bucks for an Emmy? Yeah. I mean, these aren't solid gold. Who wants to okay. go in on some Emmys? Well, e uh, there's probably a few Emmys on eBay. You gotta figure. But when was that? That was 2010. <laughs> I won an Emmy. Yeah. It might be the last Emmy I ever won. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't look like it was a streak. Where's your Emmy right now? It is under my friend's house. What? In a cardboard box. <laughs> 
why is why is your Emmy in storage in somebody's basement? Uh, like I said, it's uh, I'm a rambler, gonna die poor and alone. And I, I had to, I moved moved to New York uh, like four years ago. Yeah. And when you move into a New York apartment, there's not a lot of space. So I begged my friend to let me throw some cardboard boxes under there. And amongst the things you leave behind is your Emmy Award. Yes. And last I heard, <laughs> there was a very successful family of rats <laughs> using, in the globe. <laughs> using that box as a bathroom, uh, among other things. So I well, need to get over there. I, well, I mean... It, Post the, putting the Emmy somewhere prominent in your apartment would be the kind of thing a single guy would do. You're not a single guy. No, no. You've, and been, you've been married for 12 years. You're yeah. For, if anybody doesn't know, uh, Zeb is married to uh, Heidi Gardner from Saturday Night Live. Yes, that's why I moved to New York very quickly. She got like three days notice that <laughs> she was going to be on Saturday Night Live. Did you, did you answer the call from Dr. Evil yourself? Or no, you, no, no. They called her in a Gelson's parking lot. Uh, that's a grocery store. Yeah. Everybody, everybody who's ever been on the show has a, a story about how they got the call. Yeah, so. that was very exciting. That's probably the happiest I've ever been. First of all, what's the secret to marital success when both of you are, both members of the marriage are so talented, so creative? Like, is there any kind of... Well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a, you're not patting yourself on the back here. I'm patting you on the back. Um, when we're both so talented and creative and busy and busy well you know I think anyone that's married or been in a long term relationship busy hurts and busy helps yeah. because you can't really get sick of each other when you uh, don't see each other that often familiarity breeds contempt exactly yeah. <laughs> so, and I think uh, both of us being busy in that way we can support each other and we get it yeah. if someone's gone and has to do something then we understand uh, but it's been a wild ride for sure. What's what's that annoying habit that you have that you've been able to hide? No, I've no, I've been married too long. There's, I have not <laughs> been able to hide anything. Uh, do you ever? Uh, last question about Saturday Night Live. Do you ever, do you ever go to the, to Thirty Rock for rehearsals or for the show, or do you ever go to the after parties, or is that just a been there, done that? Yeah, I, I used to go, but then COVID sort of blew that up. We yeah. stopped being able to go. But I would go and, and watch it in her dressing room every every week that yeah. I was there. And then you'd go to the after parties. But, you know, everyone's getting old. The after parties are just like a very quiet dinner where everyone makes an excuse to get out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> that's, why the, that's why you cycle the talent in and out. So yeah. there's a, a new crop Keep of the youngins, yeah. wackadoos who are fresh to the city. Yeah, I did get to see uh, Kate Beckinsdale hanging all over Pete Davidson, which was a sight to behold. What what is Pete Davidson in person? And I phrase that exactly the way I want to. What is he in person? I haven't had too much experience with him. Uh, I think he was off doing his own thing by the time I got there. Yeah. Um, but he seems like, uh, from what Heidi says, he just seems like what you'd think. He seems, what I you see is what you get. I feel like he might be somebody that each of us visually perceives differently. Probably. Like, like a tangle of tentacles or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any other questions from the audience? Okay, right here in front again. Hi, 
Yeah, I want to just tell a really good John Romita Jr. Spider-Man tale that when you, you get all of those issues together, you know, I, I, what I like to do is introduce stuff, introduce stuff, introduce stuff, and then at the back end of the second year, see how much of that stuff I can bring together. Like, I w would like to bring Tombstone back and maybe do a gang war situation or something something bigger, just something that builds on everything and bring back as many characters. I want to keep telling the Ben Riley story and, and see if he gets redemption or if him and Peter can heal their relationship. And, yeah, we'll see what happens. What's the level of uh, editorial, uh, let's use the word input, uh -huh. at this point for you? It's, well, just by the nature of the beast, like I said, we have to work so far ahead yeah. that you do work with the editor a lot. And the editor, you know, knows where things are going, you know, knows that Amazing Spider-Man is tying into this. And at, by the nature of working on Amazing Spider-Man, some of these things it has to tie into because it's a big book. But I would say with Nick that it's always a conversation with editorial. It's, it's never like we're doing this. Mm -hmm. and it, it's always we need to, you know, maybe it's sometimes we need to do something like this. Yeah. How do we want to do it? And then you sort of use those as story prompts to see, like, well, what's the best way um, to, to play in that world or the parameters that you've been given? Mm -hmm. it's, so, yeah, it's the nature of Amazing Spider-Man being such an important book for Marvel and an important book for the whole line and then the fact that it comes out twice a month. Hey kids, your Uncle Kingdom here, taking a quick break from our interview to tell you that my new book, Strip Club Quotes, is available for sale online. Get your copy today in the online store of rutgazer.com. It's 180 pages of comic strips and quotes gathered together from my ridiculous day job as a strip club disc jockey. The dancers, the doormen, the bartenders, managers, and the outrageous customers. You'll hear from them all in my new book, Strip Club Quotes. Order yours today. And now back to the show, already in progress. Yeah, they came to me and saying Clayton Crane wanted to draw a Carnage series. And that's another artist that I really wanted to work with. And he's so suited for drawing symbiotes. Like I was like, oh, yes, uh, clearly... I want to do this, and then they're like, well, Carnage is a, is a torso out in space. So Cletus Cassidy, so we'd have to do Carnage without Cletus Cassidy. There'd have to be a new Carnage. And I'm just such a, a nerd, and grew up, I was just like, well, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want a new Carnage. I want to get that crazy hillbilly and play with him. So then you just start in your head, like, how can I get him back? And then you just start pitching, is there any way... And what did we have? We had him come back in like a, an asteroid or something, and he was covered in, yeah, then he didn't have his legs. And so, yeah, so the, the other half of him is still floating up out there. Yeah, yeah, his legs are still up there. I remember Dan Slott wanted to do a story where, like, the space station found half of Carnage. And I was, and, and, but then he found out I was doing this story, and I said, well, there's still his, you know, the other half of him floating around. And he was like, Zeb, I'm not going to have the space age, a bunch of astronauts find Carnage's ass floating around <laughs> in space. There's nothing cool about finding Carnage's ass in space. And I was like, well, fair enough. 
Yeah, <laughs> what's wrong with that? <laughs> no, go ahead, you, you and then, yeah. Um, just on top of that, as a writer, do you find it difficult in, in with uh, something like social media where something you've worked on, something you feel good about, comes out and people are overly or needlessly critical? Um, but I mentioned earlier how much I enjoy the number 900 that you read, that you wrote. Yeah. It probably has, you're just asking if the pressure of it affects how you write it, and I think it has, you, you try to do whatever you can to keep it from doing that, because I have written things trying to make everyone happy, and it, it never really, I think people can feel the tension in the writing, so I try to, you try to, to uh, block that out, but it's a little harder when you're writing Amazing Spider-Man, and it's so important to you, and, and so important to a lot of people, and a lot of those people are furious then uh, sometimes, but you just kind of got to create like some silence for you and some quiet for you so you can reconnect with the fun of what you're doing because you're trying to get that into your writing, but it's intense. Yeah, you have to be very conscious of it and, and conscious of how much of it you let in. And it's hard because when you are doing something like this, you know, you know, like a, a comedian does his thing and he gets the applause and he knows if he's doing a good job or not. And when you're writing something, it's, it's very tempting because you want to check in and see what's happening or if you're hitting or if people are liking it. So when you feel that people aren't liking it, of course, it doesn't feel great. And I know some people don't read any of it, and I completely understand that. Um, but when you do anything creative, feedback is part of it, I think. Like, the way people respond to it is part of it. So it's really hard not to, to get on there. And it kind of helps to remember being a comic book fan. And you, you love some things and you hate some things. And when you hate some things, you can get a little, <laughs> a little intense about it. And just remember that, that it's not personal and these, these people, they're that angry because they love it so much. And, and yeah, but uh, it's, it's intense. I, I don't want to be crass, but I always say it's like after you go to the bathroom, you maybe peek in there to see if everything's okay, but you don't look too long, you know. You just, <laughs> you don't want to look too long and you don't want to think about it too much, but you usually take a little peek just to make sure nothing's gone too far off wow. the rails. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I instantly regretted when I started saying that. I instantly regretted it. So thank you for taking it <laughs> with the intention. Uh, in the back there, yeah. About pooping. I, I love that. Yeah. Ezekiel, does uh, is he's part of the Spider Verse stuff, right? Isn't he like pretty involved in that? Yeah. 
Because I feel like Slot like took that stuff and ran with it, which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. It, that, that was such a cool part of that run because it was one of those things that when it started, you were like, I don't know if I like this. But then the story was so strong and Ezekiel was so cool that it, it kind of won me over. Um, so, yeah, that's a good question. I'll t I, I kind of wanted to revisit those issues and see if there's anything else I can steal from it for sure. But, I, I, yeah, I, just, I think in my head I thought that, that Slot had been, had, like, that he was so connected to the Spider-Verse stuff that maybe, and I think s there's more Spider-Verse stuff coming. I hope I was supposed to say that. Okay, you know, okay, you're nodding. Thank God. Yeah. How, so do, you, how, do, you, how do you deal with 60 years of continuity? and make sure that you're creating, you're bringing something new to the table. Yeah, it's a little intimidating. You, you start thinking about that character of Spider-Man, and if, if, so, if a human being had had as many adventures, like, it would be like what? He, he'd be having an adventure like once every 30 minutes. Like, he would have no rest, no days off. He would be, his life's a nightmare. So you, but you, so you have to ignore that, because you don't want to write a story. You don't want to treat it completely realistically, because if you do that, then yeah. He's, uh, he's not going to be making jokes if this is his 10,000th fight with Dr. Octopus. <laughs> he's going to be crying. He'll, he, he probably wakes up and cries all day, every day. Um, so you, you try to synthesize it. You try to remember what connected with you growing up and, and try to make stories that feel as good as the stories or, you know, that you read growing up. Yeah. Okay, let's grab one more question, and then we're going to wrap it up. Anybody? Right. Okay. Yeah, they what what was cool about the She Hulk writers room is the producers are so involved that that the producers were in the writers room. So they they can kind of get a feel for what you're good at or not good at. So after She Hulk, I got a call asking if I wanted to pitch on Marvel Zombies, which was the four-episode Disney Plus thing that's coming out a little bit later. And so I got to plug into that. And then in working on that, that producer thought it would be, um, you know, that I could do a couple, a little polish on the Thor movie. And then I, so I worked on that. And, um, and now I don't know if I can talk about what I'm working on now. <laughs> Yeah, so I kind of got, yeah, I kind of got, I got kind of got plugged in to uh, some additional photography, some fun additional photography opportunities, and um, I'm just trying to, yeah, make my way in that world now and having a lot of fun. It's it's a really fun place to work. So you so they're not getting rid of me. They're gonna have to ask. <laughs> I'm not leaving. They're gonna have to ask me to leave. Zeb Wells, man, thank you very much for doing thank this. Thank you guys. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, that is going to wrap up another episode of the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Thanks again to Zeb Wells for sitting down with us for this interview, an absolutely fantastic guest. Uh, I should let you know that I have a terrific new setup here at home base, including a pair of new computer monitors and a brand new Rodecaster Pro 2 mixing board. So as we head into the fall and winter months, uh, there should be many more episodes on a much more uh, weekly basis for you to enjoy. So uh, thank you for joining us today and uh, keep coming back. We've got more for you.